Hey everybody, welcome to the Everyday Mulemanship Podcast. I'm Ty Evans. Thanks for hanging out with us today. So today is Mule Tip Tuesday. And uh, not a live show today, I'm just recording this, hanging out in the hotel room up here in Salmon, Idaho. And uh, doing it. today was the first day of a, of a two-day clinic, and oh, it was a good day. I'm going to do a I'll do a clinic debrief on this uh, when I'm done tomorrow or the next day, and and uh, you guys get to hear all about the clinic. But today is Mule Tip Tuesday, and I have a pile of questions for you. A lot of really good questions. I appreciate you guys emailing in questions, and you know, Sky and I really try hard for you guys. Uh, we try to do a good job answering questions. We always want to fill... Um, we always want you to feel that your questions are welcome, and we we want to help you. At the beginning of every clinic, I tell everybody there that I am sincerely there to help them, and I really mean that. And it's the same thing with these Meal Tip Tuesdays. I'm here to help you guys, so never be shy to send in your question. We get a lot of questions, a lot of emails that start with, uh, "I hope this is not a dumb question," but, and then they you know ask their question. You know, there's no such thing as a dumb question. There really isn't. However, I have been accused of many a dumb answer. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Anyways, let's jump in. I'm excited. A lot of good stuff here. Um, I have two questions that are somewhat related, so I'm going to start with these two. Uh, J.P. Dobbs. Um, he says, what about a mule that is hard to shoe on the back feet? And then, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying this name right, but uh, G-Dubs Marie. I don't know if I said that right at all. Um, but they wrote in, suggestions for farrier and vet visits. Wanting to know how to basically prepare better for those professionals to come work on their meal. All right. So, JP, let's start with yours, and then we'll kind of go into the other one. Um, so, if I have a meal that's hard to shoe on the back feet, my very first thing is going to be getting that mule to be able to shift weight off of those feet. And this is really cool. It's super simple, but it needs to be done. JP... If you take some time, go to my video library on tsmules.com and watch Dally's first couple rides. First ride, second ride, third ride. Watch those first three rides. Now, it's a first ride in a colt starting, so you may be thinking, well, what does this have to do with shoeing the back feet? All right, well, just watch it, and you'll see how I get Dally leading and softening and lightening on those back feet. So basically what I'll do, and I like to do this with a lariat rope. You grab your lariat, and you, you pick up a back foot and do this in a round pin, preferably a smaller round pin, like a 30-foot, 40-foot round pin, nothing too big. And uh, pick up a hind foot, and you, you're going to pick that foot up off the ground, and this may be the hardest part, just even picking it up off the ground. Maybe they don't even want to take weight off of it. So you're going to put a little pressure on that rope until they just even think about softening and lightening that foot. And the second they even 
give, and they might not even come off the ground. They just might give, and you see them shift weight to the other three feet. Release. Let go of that pressure. I'll do that over and over until I can just get that mule to pick up its foot just with barely any feel and get to where I could just set that foot down on its on the toe, just barely set it down, and it just stays light. Like I said, watch those first three rides on the Dally Diaries, and you'll see how I do this with Dally. Uh, I'm going to get him good there first, JP. Okay. Once that's accomplished, then I'm going to move up that rope, and I'm going to start working on it, just picking it up myself to where I can just pick up that foot and hold it, and it is completely light. I don't have to... I don't have to like manhandle it to keep it there. I can just pick it up, set it on my lap, no big deal. And then if they're if some of these horses and mules get a little sour, maybe you know, maybe they like maybe they've been shod before and it was a bad experience and so now they got a bunch of brace or they got a bunch of anxiety about being shod. So I might just take this mule, JP, and I might just just take a rasp over that that hoof every week, just a little, just a little rasping, like once or twice, put it down. And then I might get to where I can rasp a couple times, and I might just be able to tap on that foot, set it down. I'm I'm nowadays I'm more interested in in taking a little longer and getting it done a little easier than going in there. Now, the other thing, JP, though, if if you're if you need so. I don't know. I don't know the situation. All I got was, what about a mule that is hard to shoe on the back feet? So that's all information I have, you guys. But JP, I don't know. If you're working out on a ranch and you need to use this mule and you need its shoes on its back feet, then maybe that's a different story. In that case, I would pick up that hind foot with a rope, have somebody else on their horse, pick up that hind foot, and while they got that hind foot up in the air, I'd, I'd trim them up, put a shoe on while that foot's hanging in the air. I'll do it like that if you if you need to get it done today. But that's not the point. That's that's not going to help you get that mule any better. So if you're trying to make some improvements, you got to go with the first route I told you. If you've got a job to do today, you need to get it on, get on down the road, and get something done. Well, that's a different story. So I'm not really sure on your situation. Good question, JP. Now that kind of leads into this to this other preparing suggestions for farrier and vet visits this is prep for that you know suggestions for the farrier would be to get this mule or get mules or horses whatever you got just get to where those feet are so easy to pick up i mean light i mean turn up your standards and you know just be be super super light with it so i'd i'd start there and then, you know, you can you can do something like clean those hoofs out every day to really prepare the mule to be worked on. Just clean them out every day, you know, get to where you can pick them up easy. They don't even need to be tied up. You don't even need to catch them. Just go out in the corral, pick up a foot, clean out a hoof, you know. As for the vet, you know, that's a little different. You know, um, the main thing with a vet is you all need to prepare yourselves better. Um, sometimes we build up vet visits of our own anxiety. Some of us have problems going to doctors. Sometimes we have a little anxiety visiting a doctor, and, and that 
and we think it's the same thing for the mule. We think, oh, the mule has a problem going to the vet because of how we, we relate to doctors or a dentist or something. It's not the same. But they can get sour for sure. If you go to the vet every time and, you know, maybe you go to the vet once a year and they get their coggins drawn and they get their shots and that's all they ever do. Uh, my mules, on the other hand, I, I go to the vet every month. I got to go to the vet every month to get these health certificates for our clinics. And, you know, uh, I love my vet. He's awesome. And when I'm on the road, I get to meet lots of different vets. And it's interesting seeing how each of them work and, and who gets along with what and, and everything. You know, but, uh, oh, shoot, my vet is awesome. He does a good job. My mules, I think they like visiting him. You know, he, he comes up there and when he takes temperature, he's easy going with it. And when he, he's listening to the heart, he's petting them and, and he's interested. My vet also really likes mules. In fact, I'm going to have my vet on this podcast if I can. He's a busy, busy guy like me. And if I can ever get him to slow down for a minute and and uh, get him on the podcast, I want to because he's the only vet I've ever had that has mules himself. And he's a mule. He's a mule guy. So he loves mules. And I think you guys would really enjoy hearing from him. He's, he does a good job. Shout out to Rocky Mountain Large Animal Clinic there in Spanish Fork, Utah. They do a dang good job. So the best suggestion I can give for prep for farrier and vet and for life, above everything, is to just work on getting these meals in a good mental frame of mind. If you do this, everything else will be so much easier. So today, for example, I up here at Salmon, Idaho, I got Riata with me, who's been going down the road for, you know, for three years now. And I got Dally with me, who's been going down the road here for just a couple months, you know, brand new rookie. She's only, she's been to like four clinics or something, four or five clinics and, you know, really a rookie. And Dally's not in a, the best mental frame of mind. Dally is, Dally is in an anxious state of mind 80% of the time. She's she's a she's a worrisome type. She's she's getting better, and I get these glimpses of, of of joy every now and again. But nonetheless, she's not in a great frame of mind. Now Riata is in a fantastic frame of mind. Riata loves life. <laughs> For Riata, every day is the next best day. This is the best day of Riata's life. It really is. And I and I joke in the clinics. I tell everybody, hey, this is the best day of your life. And for Riata, it really is. She loves it. She just she's just a happy mule. Just a happy type of mule. And I can take Rietta anywhere, and she's exactly the same. She's just happy to be there, no big deal. You know, Dally, it's a new place. She, she's, she's anxious. She's aware. She's looking around. She's checking everything out. She's not comfortable. She's not in a good mental frame of mind yet. Now, you check in with me a few months from now, it'll be a different story. I hope. <laughs> it'll be a different story. But right now, it's not that way. So, oh, yeah, you take Dally the vet. You, you take Dally to... It, it could be the same. I go down the road to the to a to a different arena. Oh yeah, she's she's wound up. It's a new place. So, um, it's funny today. I'll just give you a little sneak peek of uh, our Salmon Idaho Clinic recap that's going to be coming up here in a couple of days. Um, first thing this morning, <laughs> I go out to go out to the arena, start the foundation class, and. Oh, Dally, she's like I'm saying, she's not in a good mental state of mind all the time. I got her saddled up, and she's tight. Oh, she's tight. She's 
She's got a lump under that saddle. Looks like she's got a watermelon on her back. She's got a big old hump in her back, and she's looking like she's going to blow her top any moment. And sure enough, I get out there and in the arena, and, and um, one of the other participants loses her mule. Uh, you know, on the ground, the mule kind of bolts away from her, gets away from her. I'll talk about that later. But anyways, oh boy, Dally can't take it. Dally cannot take this mule running off from this lady. He, and she just blows up and bucks. And she's squealing and <laughs> making all sorts of noise and bucking. In fact, she, she jumped hard enough, she busted my breast collar on my saddle. And so that's hanging now. And that scares her now. Now she wants to buck harder. And anyways, got her over to the, you know, I need to help this lady get her mule. And Dally's over here bucking on the end of the leader open. My buddy Jerry, who's going to listen to this podcast, I'm sure. Jerry's over there laughing. He just thinks it's just great. Jerry's a happy guy. Jerry's kind of like my mule Riyadh. He's always happy. So, anyways, I'll talk about that more in the in the salmon debrief. But, you know, it's the same thing with these suggestions for the ferry and vet visits. Get them in a good frame of mind. Get them in that good frame of mind, and it'll be so much easier. So, good questions. All right. So next question, Linda Oliver. By the way, J.P. Dobbs, G.W.S. Marie, the rest of you, as I go through your through your questions here, I would love feedback from each of you. Uh, let me know what you think about the answers to that, and if you have any further questions. Um, Linda Oliver writes in: How do you feel about buying a mule at an auction? Ooh, it depends on the auction, Linda. Each auction has its a life has a life of its own. Every one of them is a little different. Um, there's some select saddle mule auctions, and then there's just the you know average run of the mill run them in, you know show up to the auction, run them through, and there's no consignment fee. There's no you know catalog anything like that. It's just run them through. Um, the select sales, these people have to put these mules up on these you know. Uh, they have to consign these mules months and months in advance, long time in advance. So it tells you that at least they're invested. They're not just a trader, okay? They're not just a flipper. They're not just going to buy a mule at, at that auction on Saturday and then the next Saturday um, go to the neck, you know, an auction down the road and, and ride it through and cowboy the thing and, and make 500 bucks. It's, it's a little different. Um, they're a little bit more invested in that, and they're hoping to get good money at these select sales too. So, you know, Linda, um, this doesn't apply for everybody, but you know, me and Sky make a really good team, and I, I enjoy, I enjoy going with with Sky. Um, Sky has a really good eye for mule flesh. She's and she's really good at watching the mules. She's she's just got a keen eye, and and I. Sky Sky's good about looking at the mule's confirmation and the mule's health, and I focus more on the behavior and the people. So Sky's really good about seeing that mule and oh, this this leg does you know is crooked or or that mule is a little lame or or uh, you know whatever. Sky's so good at that, um, and she's good at watching all the she she's good at watching all the behind the scenes stuff i guess i end up at these auctions i end up visiting with people i i'm the people person and so i'm visiting and and talking to people and 
and I get a little distracted. So it's funny because Sky will be like, oh, well, don't, we don't want that mule. And I'll be like, well, I don't want to buy from that person <laughs> because I, I judge uh, a little bit uh, on, okay, well, this is, you know, this is what that person is, is how they're handling their mules. So I kind of know what I'm getting into if I buy a mule from that individual. I kind of know what I'm signing up for. And, you know, uh, for me, even sometimes at auctions and stuff, it'll be the kind of gear they're using. You know, my, my goal is to maybe make, br is to make bridal mules, right? And so, you know, maybe if a mule comes in there and, and they have a certain type of, of gear being used, a certain type of bit or a certain something on their face, I'm, I, I don't really want it because it's not going to be able to, I'm not going to be able to play that long game that I'm interested in. But uh, I've bought, Sky and I, oh shoot, we've, we've bought, we've bought a lot of mules at auctions, um, hundreds at auctions, and uh, it's, you just never know, you just really never know, and, and even the select auctions, you know, some of these folks are riding the crap out of these mules, <laughs> they're really riding it because they want to go there and get some good money, and so they're working, 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 and that mule hasn't had much of a day off, and then somebody buys them and and the average you know just think of the average rider maybe that's you you know you you ride on saturday that's your day off from work and you know and, and you're a saturday rider okay well you just bought a mule that's been rode six seven days a week and now you're just a saturday rider and that mule maybe doesn't know how to take that and there's all sorts of things but i would say linda the main thing the main piece of advice i can give you about auctions is get to know the people the people make all the difference and it's sometimes it's not so much what you know, it's it's who you know. And you get to know these people and you get to know who, who to buy from and, and how they ride and what they do. And that helps a lot. But that's kind of, you know, the question is how do I feel about buying at an auction? And I feel fine about it. Um, but even me, though, nowadays, I, you know, when it comes to buying meals, I, I like to buy wheelings. And, you know, shout out to my good buddy. Donnie Oldham at at uh, Rockin' Old Mules, you know we we've been buying wheelings from him for a few years now. We've got another one here coming, and can't wait. So it just depends on what you want to do, Linda. So good question. All right, my buddy Jerry Myers. I mentioned Jerry already. Jerry's the happy guy here at the clinic. Jerry's always got a smile on. I just I would love to be like Jerry. He's just a happy son of a gun. Um, but Jerry's got a good question, and this is a controversial one, so this is going to affect the audience in one way or the other. So you're going to like what I have to say, or you're going to not. You're not going to like what I have to say. All right. But his question is where to put the back cinch for mountain riding, and he he writes in a little bit and says, you know, there's a lot of people that suggest you put that rear cinch behind the the barrel of the belly, you know, the curve of the belly. Um, and then there's people like me. I, I recommend having it vertical straight up and down. Um, I'm a little bit more of a traditionalist. I like my rear cinches, Jerry, straight up and down, traditional style on the bulk of the bone mass. Um, but Jer Jerry knows me, but I, I rope and I really ride the mountains. You know, I do a lot of stuff. And I like my cinches, my front cinch and my back cinch on bone mass, on the big rib cage. I don't like to put my rear cinch 
on the curve of the belly. You get back there and those weak ribs, and those, those ribs are easily broken. Um, I've, seen, I've seen a lot of broken ribs. I see it all the time. Those ribs break easy. They can get, they can just kick each other and they break ribs all the time. And you can ask, you can ask a lot of vets that that work on a lot of equine, a lot of equine vets that are, I'm talking about really seeing a lot of animals, not just the uh, one one horse a month guy, but somebody that sees a lot of animals. And, and those those ribs towards towards their flank are weaker. So the type of stuff I'm doing with my mules, Jerry, and I know what you do with your mules. I know how you ride. Um, the vertical rear cinch is, is is my preference for what I do. Um, if if you have a, there's some people that have a hard time um, keeping the the saddles back, especially if they got a fat mule. Like <laughs> maybe that's too frank. If your mule's just a chubby son of a gun, and uh, you know big gut, and you only ride once a month. You're going to have a hard time keeping that saddle back off the wither. I know you are, right? And and so this might be intriguing to you. And there's no nothing wrong with this. There there's no laws here that tell you you can't do one thing or the other. It's totally personal preference. And so, if if that's you, you know, if if you're the person with a listening with a chubby mule and you can't keep that saddle back, well, you put your britching on, set that rear cinch behind the belly and, and that will definitely help you there's no there's no doubt that having that rear cinch behind the curve of the belly won't help you that's that's a fact uh, i've seen it it does help fat mules but what i'm talking about jerry and i you know we're gonna rope gonna do some some a little bit more of extreme type of mountain riding a, a little steeper country um, I don't like my rear cinches on the, those weak bones. I like it on the bulk of the bone mass. So that's my personal preference there. But you guys do whatever suits you, right? That's the cool thing about all this mulemanship is you can do whatever you like, whatever s- suits you. There's no laws. There's no rules here. Do it. Do whatever suits you. Good question, Jerry. Appreciate that, sir. Okay, uh, next question. Miss Susan Leone. She says, how do you get your meal used to fly spray? We got spring coming up. She's talking, we got spring, summer coming up, bugs are coming out. How do we get mules used to fly spray? Um, this is this is an interesting one. You know, the number one thing I'm gonna say, Susan, is have a good handle on them. Your groundwork needs to be going good. This mule needs to be broke to lead. I'm talking about broke to lead, not broke to drag, but broke to lead, where they are light on the end of that lead rope. They're with you. They're not gonna run you over. They're not gonna run off from you. So that's the main thing is to have them really good on that lead rope. Number two, I would say, is um, I, the smell. I think it's usually the smell of the fly spray that bothers most mules, not actually the spray bottle. And why I say that, as I've seen a lot of people, and I've done this too, you just go go down to the grocery store, any store, and get, just get you an empty spray bottle, or you know maybe you take an old an old fly spray bottle that has you know been used up and just put water in it so that you're not wasting your your expensive fly spray right and they can just spray the meal with that water in that bottle just fine and it only takes a little while for that meal to get familiar with that fly spray i mean i mean just the spraying of the bottle you know you could just do that but they usually get really keen on that but it's if it smells like fly spray they're more bothered so 
one thing that w you could do, Susan, that would really help is just get the fly spray and, and dump the fly spray on a rag, just some kind of rag or towel or something, and dump it on there and then just rub the fly spray on the mule. So you're not doing any spraying. You're not making the, the ch -ch -ch bottle noise. It's just, but they can smell it. And then you just rub them down with it. So they, they can smell that fly spray, but you're just basically with that rag, just, just applying it by petting them, right? You're just rubbing the mule, the horse down. No big deal. So they kind of get used to that smell. And you'll notice that a lot of them will be, uh, you know, you've pet them a hundred times, but now that you're petting them with something that smells like that, they might be bothered. But you, at least you're not combining it with the, with the new, uh, you know, the new stimulus of a, of a spray bottle. So you could basically work on the spray bottle with this water by itself, work on the fly spray smell just with a rag, and then at some point you combine it. But if you've got a good handle on them, it really won't be a big deal. It, it really won't be. And I, I'll, I'll work them in, I'll do it in the round pen where I can move them. So I'll go to spray them. And, and this is also kind of a test on how centered they are, right? How good your groundwork is going. Because if, if they try to blow through you and bust through you, and you know, well then, oh, I need to fix that anyways. But at least in, in a round pen, just on the end of a lead rope, you can move the mule. You're not, they're not tied up where they're going to learn to pull back or hurt themselves or hurt you. You know, there's very little room for you to move. If you got them tied to, say, a hitching rail, there's not a lot you can do to get out of the way. All right, Susan, that's a good question. Fly spray, oh, man. That means bug season's coming right up, isn't it? Uh, it's okay, though. I've, I've been pretty cold at a lot of the clinics this year. I've been cold. So I was telling somebody today, you know what, I'm, I'm ready to start complaining that I'm too hot. I'm ready for that time of my life. <laughs> All right, next question. Uh, uh, I think it's Deanna or Diana, sorry. Noon, Noonan. Okay, my mule is in training. It's going to be, is it going to be hard for her to transition to me when I start riding? So this is a good question, uh, Diana, um, or Deanna, sorry. Um, yes, it, it can be. It can be a little bit of a tough transition. It doesn't have to be, though. It really doesn't have to be a hard transition. Um, I would highly recommend you go to the trainers and you start participating and you start working. Have that trainer work with you and pay extra if you need to pay extra for lessons, whatever you need to do. Um, but go start taking some lessons. Start riding your mule there where it's been familiar now for I don't know how long, how long you've had it there. There's no information for me on that. But however long it's been there, the mule's going to be familiar there now. So go go ride it there, work with it there, uh, figure out, um, make sure that your standards and the trainer's standards are in line. Um, there's no two trainers that are exactly the same. So make sure that the standards and the, and the you know, what you're trying to build here is is in the same line of things. Hopefully you've already been doing that. And then, you know, when you get this mule, uh, get go go right to it. Keep keep up. Keep working. Keep riding. Um, you know, the mule doesn't need to come back home and, and, and settle in at your place. It, I just go right about it. I mean, think about my mules. Every week I'm in someplace different, and they learn to just settle in with being with me. Uh, it doesn't need to have a big 
time period that the mule settles in a, at a new place or else I'd be I'd have to stay at places a long time so I just start I just start riding I'd go right to it keep going um, it shouldn't be that big of a deal it can be though in fact you know when Sky and I you know first got married I was full-time trainer you know uh, and for for many many years you know I've I've trained full-time for the public you know, at one point in time, we were working 15, 15 plus head every month, you know, dawn to dark riding colts. And, you know, one of the most disappointing things as a trainer was to put a lot of work into a colt. And then you send it home and the individual didn't work it, didn't ride it for months and months and months or something. They didn't do anything with this colt that you had going so well. And then they call you six months later and they're they're saying they're not happy because the colt bucked them off or did something, and you're like, well, it's a colt. You need to keep up on it. And that got to where it really could burn you. It was really burning me out. And so um, I would have loved if more of my clients came and spent time with me and actually showed that they cared about the job I'm doing uh, while I was doing it and invested themselves in into that training. So if any of you are considering sending your mule to a trainer or you have your mule in training, go invest some time. And I promise you, if they're a great trainer, if they're a good trainer, they are going to welcome you with open arms to come be part of that. Because, you know, you guys got to be real. You know, the money is not good for trainers. I mean, I don't know any trainers that are just filthy rich, okay? You got to be real here. They're not, nobody is training for the money, you know, we're not in this business. There's no agricultural business or equine-based business that you do it for the money. We don't do this for the money. I, I do what I do because I enjoy working with mules and people. And trainers, you know, if they're a good hand, they're, they're, they enjoy the job. And the paycheck just helps them basically do what they love to do another day. Okay, so... They really appreciate when you appreciate their work. They would love you to go there and spend some time with them. Like I said, if they're worth a darn, that is. There's some that maybe want to hide and and be all mystical and mysterious. But any good ones will will welcome you and say, "Yes, come learn." And I got some. There's some great friends that I refer a lot of people to. You know that would would would. You know I've had I've had people on the podcast like Chris French. Great trainer, and he would love you guys to come spend time with him if he's training your mule. I got another friend up in Minnesota that's a good trainer, a good hand. His name's John Sklarski, and uh, he's gonna—he's actually gonna be on the podcast later this summer. Um, you know, John Logston. All these guys are great trainers, and I got a whole bunch of other friends that are good trainers. I refer a lot of people to, and they would love you to be part of that, and that will help that transition for sure. So, anyways. Deanna, I hope that uh, helped answer your question. Let me know what you think. All right. This was an interesting question. In fact, this is probably my favorite question of the day, you guys. So this is interesting. Jonah Green wrote in, and this is in this is in reference to a previous podcast episode that I did about, uh, or, or a question that I answered about pressure and release versus versus pressure and relief and he he jonah wants more insight here um 
Jonah's not seeing how it's any different. And so I'm going to try to explain this. And, you know, I learned this concept from Martin Black. He talks, he's the first one I ever heard talk about pressure and relief versus the release. Um, so let's dive into this here. The difference really between release and relief is the comfort that the mule feels when the pressure is gone. So you can apply some pressure and a release is when you just, and he wanted, okay, he wanted me to, I see this note right here, he wanted me to use the example of lateral flexion. And so I'm going to try to explain it as best as I can. And so I wish I had Martin here to explain it even better yet. The lateral flexion, Jonah, say I, I have to put a little pressure on, meaning I have to actually pick up on the rein. And when that mule flexes and softens, I let go. That's pressure and release. Okay, I just quit. Now, maybe it was hard for that mule to actually find that softness. Maybe it took it a minute to find that softness. And it, and it really wasn't quite sure. And it just gave me the littlest try. And so I, 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 I let go. I released. Okay, the mule's like, all right, all right, okay. Well, you, you quit there. But maybe I go, I go right back to it. Maybe I go right back to it again and again and again. And maybe I'm asking more. And it's just, yeah, pressure and quit, which is the release. Now that same example, okay, of pressure and relief. Here, here's, here's an example Jonah, when the mule is finding relief, and a way you can put it is your mule really is starting to understand. And it, and it really happens on how you apply the pressure. Here's, here's the key to helping the mule find the relief. It's, it's how you apply the pressure. Okay. We, if you've been, I don't, I, Jonah, I'm not sure if you've been to a clinic. I can't remember. If you have, I apologize. If, if I don't remember, my brain maybe isn't working right now. But say, Say I want to ask for this lateral flexion. If you've been to a clinic, you've all heard me talk about sending a pre-signal down that rein. So picture, everybody picture yourself sitting in the saddle. All right. And you're going to, you're holding your reins centered in the middle of your reins with your left hand. Okay. Your right hand is free. You're going to take your right hand using your fingertips, palms down. You're going to slide down that rein. And as I'm sliding down that rein, I would love it if my mule felt me sending that pre-signal and they started to initiate a bend. That's when I know the mule has found some relief. They want, they want to do that. Now, you still have to release. So the pressure might have been me just sliding down that rein because there's totally various 
levels. I mean, there's so many various levels of pressure, right? It's still pressure. But I'm, I'm sending that pre-signal. And the mule is starting to look for that. Okay? I, that's when I know that they found the relief. So, you know, really, it's not a, you know, the question is posed as pressure and release versus pressure and relief. It doesn't really need to be a versus thing. They're two different things in in the way basically the pressure is applied because I could just grab my rein, pull on it. When they give, I let go. That's pressure and release. But this pressure and relief can maybe be rephrased, Jonah, to helping them through your question to find the relief. And uh, and there may be other examples of this. You know, for example, maybe I'm I'm trying to get my mule. I'm trying to get my mule to follow a cow. Okay, maybe this mule is scared of cows. Well, I could just kick and kick and kick and kick and fight and fight and fight and make my mule, make my mule get close to the cow. And when it is close to the cow, I leave it alone. That's pressure and release. I put pressure on, and it, when it went where I wanted, wanted it to go, I quit. That's fine. That's good. Here's an example of the same thing, pressure and release. Or, excuse me, pressure and relief. I could make the cow a really good place to be. So picture yourself inside of a, a big arena, and there's a cow loose in the arena. It's on one end, and you're on the other end because your mule is scared to death of that cow. So instead of me pressuring it and releasing when it gets close to the cow, like making it go over there, I may just help this mule move on the opposite end of the arena from the cow. I might just start doing some figure eights and just moving, just moving, just moving. And and I'm going to just hang out right there until the mule starts to search on his own for the relief. So when the mule starts looking, saying, hey, you know what, I really don't like doing these figure eights down here. And I'm just going to let it find. I'm not going to direct the mule. I'm not going to direct it not even one time to go closer to the cow. Not even once. I'm not going to pull it toward the cow or kick it to go toward the cow. I'm just simply working on figure eights down here, but with open doors if it would like to get closer to the cow. And when I see that mule start to search for more comfort somewhere else, when it's searching for the relief somewhere else, and it's in any way closer to that cow, in any way closer to the cow at all, and it starts to search for that relief, I will leave it alone. So, yeah, in a way it's still pressure and release. However, I put pressure on without direction until the mule found the relief. So, relief is also, you could think of it as the mule looking for comfort. They're looking for peace. And you help them find it, and when they do find it, you, you leave them completely alone. So it's just a different way of thinking. And maybe to you, Jonah, yeah, maybe it is the same thing. And, and that's okay. It doesn't really matter the definitions of 
the exact words so much as you understand the concept of, you know, think of it as when when I'm asking them to do something, there needs to be relief. You know, there has to be relief for pressure to be effective. And there has to be pressure for relief to be effective. But it's it's a way of you basically making it, you know, it's like you've heard the, maybe you guys have heard, um, you know, a, a famous Ray Hunt quote, and I, it's one of my favorites, I love it, but make the right thing easy, wrong thing difficult, or some version of that, right? There's lots of different variations of people quoting him. It's pretty easy for us to make the make the wrong thing hard. Like if I said, okay, well, your mule is buddy sour. How can you make it hard to be with a buddy? Oh, you could give me all sorts of ideas. You could tell me all, all these things about, you know, how difficult you can make it to be, you know, for your mule to be with a buddy. You could tell me all sorts of stuff. But if I asked you, Okay, tell me how you can make it easier to not be with the buddy. Could you tell me how you can make it easier not to be with the buddy? And it's just that thought of how can I make it easiest for the mule to do what I want it to do? We're on the same team. How can I help my mule figure out what I'm trying to get them to do? How can I help them find that thing? That's, that's what we're chasing here. So it's kind of like that too, Jonah. Good question, Jonah. Um, I don't know if I helped, uh, you know, give you a little bit more insight there or not, but I hope so. Let me know what you think. I'd appreciate it. All right, this is a fun one here. This last one here um, from Carrie Simmons. Carrie writes, Help! My mule spooks and gets me out of the saddle after wild pigs... Um, after wild pigs came running at us, now he spooks at moving things. What can I do? Couldn't find a video on TS Mules on that. So, mule spooks at moving things after being uh, charged <laughs> from wild pigs. I don't blame it. I'd be the same way. I'd be a little gun shy. I'd be a little worried. Um, you know, Carrie, you guys have probably heard me say this a million times now, but don't worry so much about the pigs and about the moving things and about the spooks. Focus on getting a good handle on this mule. I get a lot of crap sometimes from folks that say, I don't gosh, I don't need I don't need my mule to turn as good as yours. I don't need my mule to stop as good as that. I don't need my mule to change leads. I don't I don't need that stuff. I just trail ride. I don't need that. But then they'll say, oh, my mule's real spooky, my mule's real jumpy, my mule doesn't like logs and doesn't stumps, you know, doesn't like rocks, whatever. You know, it's these maneuvers that we, we're trying to teach the mules to understand when we ask them to do it, to do it. These maneuvers, these turns, these stops, this backing up, side passing, leg yielding, changing leads. It's these maneuvers, it's these hand, this handle that we need to get put on these mules so that they wouldn't spook. Because if I asked you, is your mule centered? Meaning, you know, does that mule mind those four lines that we talk about in the clinics being around you? The line in front, the line in back, the line on both sides. There's four lines there. Does your mule stay within this imaginary rectangle-shaped box around you? 
you can think of it like the operation game. You ever played operation? Trying to get that femur bone out. If you touch the side that the thing buzzes you, right? It's kind of like that. I'm trying to keep my mule in these boundaries. So if your mule's centered, well, quite simply, they wouldn't spook and jump out from under you. Well, how do you get them centered? Well, you sharpen up those lines. You can't expect them to be centered if you've never built the lines around them. Well, how do you build a front line and a back line? That's transitions. That's a walk, trot, lope. Everybody should be able to walk, trot, lope their mule immediately on command at, at no expense. It should be just easy for you to walk, trot, lope. That's your front and your back line. Shifting up, shifting down. That's getting that front line and the back line sharp. Okay, what about the sidelines? How do you build sidelines? Moving the hinds, moving the front on both ends. To where those, those legs are yours, those reins are yours, mean something side to side. Your seat positions mean something side to side. And you sharpen up them lines, you get them strong. That way, when they see the scary moving thing, you know, I don't care if they're scared, but they can't jump out from under me, right? They, they got to be centered. They, they, they can be scared. They have the right to be scared. I'm not telling my mule that they can't be scared, but they can't jump out from under me. i got a funny story I'll share with you to finish up this episode here. So Sky and I had this house, and it was... <laughs> it was a, uh, a beat-up old nasty house, and, oh, there's all sorts of creatures. We had a... I had a bat crawl out of the sink once, and there was a frog downstairs, and, I mean, there's all... Uh, all sorts of stuff. But one day, uh, on a Wednesday, I'm at a church activity, and Sky calls me, and I ignore it, right, because I'm in this church activity on Wednesday night. And she calls again, and I, I'm like, well, she called twice. Maybe it's more important. I don't know. But I kind of ignored it again. I shouldn't have. <laughs> she calls again, and this time, all right, I need to answer. It must be something major. I answer, and she says, you get home right now. We have a snake in the house. You need to get home right now. Now, any of you that have known me for any amount of time, you know that I am scared to death of snakes. I, oh, my gosh. That is my, that is my fear. That is my weakness is snakes, okay? I don't do good with snakes. I got a good, healthy fear of snakes. And <laughs> so I'm like... I'm like, burn it, burn the house down, burn the house down and just, just burn it. We'll, we'll, we'll find a new house. You know, I'm, I ain't coming home. She's like, get home now. And then she's threatening me. She says, I'm going to call the neighbor and tell them. And I, of course, I don't want the neighbors to know that I'm, I'm this complete wimp that can't help his wife get the snake out of the house. Right. So I'm all right. So I go home. I'm scared to death of this snake. And, you know, you guys don't know. I mean, this is like a giant anaconda. No, just kidding. It's like this little tiny water snake, okay? <laughs> it's just this little water snake. Uh, but to me, it could have been a big old anaconda trying to kill me and eat me and, or, uh, you know, spitting cobra. I don't know. Uh, so I'm scared to death, and I'm kind of losing my brain, okay? And this thing, as I'm trying to catch this thing, I put a hole in the drywall, Guess where the snake goes? Right for that hole, right into the drywall. Now it's in the wall. So now I'm I'm breaking down the drywall, trying to get the snake out. Then it gets over into these little cubbies, this little these little cabinet cubby things. 
bench things and I'm ripping the doors. I'm ripping these doors off the hinges. I'm I'm tearing apart these whole cat the whole cabinets. I tore it apart. Long story short, I got the snake out of the house, and Sky is just looking at me like you idiot. Look what you did to our house, and I've I've torn the house up, and I'm like oh man. And so once my brain comes back into my head. I'm thinking, oh, what an idiot. How dumb. I mean, look what I've done. What a mess. The moral of the story is here is I can be scared of snakes. There's nothing any of you can do about that. I can be scared of snakes, and that's something that none of you can change, right? I'm scared of a snake. But just because I'm scared of snakes does not give me the privilege to rip apart my house and lose my brain and act like a complete moron and tear my house up. I can be scared of snakes, but I can't tear the house down. It's the same thing with our mules. Your mule can be scared of pigs and moving things, Carrie, but I can't have it running off with you. I can't have it spinning around and bucking you off. I can't have it busting through the trees and killing you. We can't have that. How do we fix it? Get them centered. Get them broke. Work on that stuff. I want you to get to where you can just spin this mule around. Get to where you can stop it hard. You can back it up good, smooth, light. Pick up that soft field. Carry some collection. Change some leads. Do all that stuff. Work on it. And you won't have these issues of this mule being scared to death and, and spinning around and dumping you in the woods anymore. So, Hey, that was a good bunch of questions, wasn't it? And I know I've went way longer than I usually do on the... I usually do on these Mule Tip Tuesdays, so I think we'll call it good for today. Um, before we go, I would love to thank our amazing sponsors. We got Colt Saddlery. Colt Naring, he just built me this amazing saddle and did a fantastic job. I, I love it. He does good work. Uh, look up Colt Saddlery on Facebook. Great, great man. Good saddle maker. I'm excited about our partnership. Um, also, a big thanks to Mules and More Magazine. These guys have been sponsors for uh, about a year now. And just love Corey Daniels over there. She's the editor, does a great job. Beautiful magazine. You know, they have a digital version too. So if you're on the road like me, that digital version might really be beneficial to you. Uh, I just kind of like, I like the paper magazine. I like to hold it. I like that. I like that magazine. So, anyways, you can find, uh, you can subscribe on mulesandmore.com. All right? And if I could ask one more favor of you, I appreciate you listening to the end here. If you would please like and share uh, this podcast episode, please leave a review. I would love, I love to hear from you guys. I love to hear what you have to say. I love to hear what you think about these podcast episodes. Love the feedback. If you think we're worth if you think we're worth it, please leave a five star review. So hey, God bless you guys. You guys have a great day and uh happy trails. We'll see you down the road.